Matthew chapter 11, and notice with me verse 28 and uh, down to 30. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, if you notice carefully in this passage of Scripture, Jesus mentions two things, two very different things. First, he says in verse 28, come to me, all who are laboring, come to me, and I will give you rest. Now, does this mean that if we know Jesus, we should never be employed? You know, we should not work for a living? No, no, no. In Ephesians chapter 4, some people would like to believe that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul instructs thieves. Isn't that interesting that there would be any thieves in the body of Christ? (laughs) He instructs thieves, let him who stole steal no more, but notice, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Somebody should say amen to that. Paul said of himself in Acts chapter 20 and verse 34, these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. So Paul supported himself by, supported his ministry by being a tent maker. So Jesus means when we come to him for salvation, we will cease from our own feeble and futile efforts to be good enough to be accepted by God. He said, when we come to Him for salvation, we will cease from our own efforts and our own strength to be good enough for God. We will stop trying to earn God's favor with good behavior and charitable deeds and Jesus will remove the heavy burden of guilt that we carry because of sin. In other words, we will be forgiven and reconciled, restored to God. In fact, the Amplified Bible says this, "'Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace.'" Do you know? People are searching for something, even in the church world. They don't exactly know what it is, but in a word, it's peace. It's peace. And notice here, this rightly says that there is no religious ritual that will give you peace. Hmm? Some people think if I could go to Israel and be baptized in the River Jordan, then I'd have peace. You know, if, you know, if... uh, if, if I could, you know, light so many candles and, and lay those candles at the statue of, of some saint, then I would have peace. There's no religious ceremony or tradition or ritual will give you what you really need, and that's peace. He went on to say, I will give you rest, refreshing your souls with salvation. Woo, glory to God. So we know that we have been saved by God's grace and not because of our works. It's His undeserved kindness. Praise the Lord. But secondly, Jesus said this, take my yoke 
upon you. Now, if you just glance at that, on the surface, it seems like a contradiction. He said, you know, come to me and you won't, you will cease from all your toils. You will unload your heavy burden. Oh, yes, that's so good. And then the next thing he says is, now take my yoke upon you. Well, I thought I was not going to be laboring and toiling. It seems like a contradiction. A yoke, and we may not be so familiar with this in our day, but a yoke is a wooden harness placed around the neck and the shoulders of an animal and attached to a cart or a plow. And throughout the Bible, a yoke symbolizes servitude and submission. For example, in Genesis chapter 27, verse 40, uh, Isaac prophesied over Esau and said, you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Of course, when Esau heard that prophecy, he wasn't exactly thrilled, because what that means is that your brother will dominate you. He will rule over you, but in the end, you'll break free from that. Then again, notice this in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4, the people of Israel came to Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And they said to him, your father made our yoke, there's the word again, made our yoke heavy. Now therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us and we will serve you. So they called the mandatory work that they did for the king a heavy yoke. They referred to it as a heavy yoke, you see. And, uh, and of course, you know this, that instead of lightening their load, Rehoboam got bad advice. You know, you, you need to be careful. Who you, we could preach another sermon here. You need to be careful who you listen to. The people who were older and experienced and had wisdom that knew Solomon, his father, they said, listen to what the people are saying and, 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 and serve them. Have a servant heart, and then they'll follow you. But he listened to the young whippersnappers who are still wet behind the ears, who went to the same high school that he went to, and they told him, tell the people, you know, I will increase the load, I'll double it, I'll make it even harder. And when he did that, he lost the kingdom. It was split in two. Amen? Just a thought there. Praise the Lord. A good lesson on leadership, but that's not our topic today. So a yoke, a yoke then is, is symbolizes, you know, like submission, even servitude. So the question remains, why would Jesus say to us, put on my yoke? I thought the anointing destroyed the yoke. <laughs> I don't want no yokes on me. Well, here's a yoke that if you don't have it, you will have a lot of other yokes. I said, here's a yoke that if you don't have it, you will have a lot of other yokes. See, when you submit to the things God has put over you, then God will cause the things he's put under you to be submitted to you. Amen. Amen. In the first century A.D., when Jesus first said these words, the rabbis of that day referred to the process of becoming a disciple as taking up the yoke 
or words to that effect, something similar to that. In the first century AD, rabbis, Jewish leaders, teachers, they referred to becoming a disciple as taking up the yoke. Now, you understand this, that Jesus was not the only person at that time who had disciples. He's not the only person. He was not the first person in history to have disciples. Uh, Other people did as well. For example, in Luke chapter 5, verse 33, the people asked Jesus, the disciples of John, meaning John the Baptist, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees but yours eat and drink. So, so, there were, so the Pharisees had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. The Sadducees, all these different groups, they had other people, even in the secular world, they had disciples too, like philosophers like Aristotle, Plato, people like that. You see, at that time, there were no schools in the modern sense of the word. They didn't have any schools. There's no public education, none at all, zero, you see. People primarily learned through a process that we would call apprenticeship. And I, I just remind you, you know, years ago when this, this church was being built, uh, the mysteries, particularly the carpenters, were building the doors and windows, and, and, and uh, they're, they're not from this state originally, maybe. They, they've come from other parts, you know, and they're working here. So I was just talking with them. And I asked them, as they're working, they're, they're planing uh, a, a, a piece of wood. I said, uh, was your father also a carpenter? And there's like three or four of them, and they said, yes. And I said, did you learn carpentry from him? And they said, yes. And I said, was your grandfather also a carpenter? And they said, yes. And I said, was your great-grandfather also a carpenter? And they kind of laughed and said, we don't know, but maybe See, that, that's, that's very similar in many ways. India is still in the first century A.D. So in many ways, that, that's the same process that people throughout history, they didn't go to carpentry school. Their father was a carpenter. That's actually what happened to Jesus. His father was a carpenter. So you laughed at my story, but you should repent now. <laughs> right? Right? And that's how people learned, you see. So... Uh, Someone who wanted to learn, someone who wanted to be trained, whether it was a skill or just education, they joined themselves to a teacher. In other words, they lived with that person. They didn't just go to class from 9 until 3 p.m. or something. They lived with that person. They left home. They said goodbye. And they now moved in with their teacher. And by living with him, they also learned from him. Amen. So Jesus said in this passage that I read to you, first, you must come to me to be saved. And that is something that we or a person initiates. This is action that we take. He didn't say, you know, if I come to you. He said, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. So if you don't come, you're not going to have any rest. And notice the gift of salvation is accompanied with the gift of rest. See, because he gives us peace with God, and that gives us rest. Our heart is at rest. St. Augustine says, how restless is the heart of man until it finds its rest in thee, O Lord. You see, that's what he's talking about. But then secondly, and this is really my point, secondly, he said, you must become my disciple. 
You must become my disciple. So that means we don't come to Jesus only one time to be saved or when there's some pressing need in our life. That's a misinterpretation of the New Testament. We come to him continually. We must live with him. Christianity is not something you do for Jesus. It's something you do with Jesus. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we're talking about discipleship, and it's important for us to understand these things. A disciple is more than a convert. Conversion is an instant experience. We're born again the very moment we believe the gospel. Discipleship is an ongoing, lifelong process. So anyone in this room could point to a day and an hour when you got saved. But you cannot give me a day and a time when, you know, you were discipled. Because that is a lifelong pursuit. Are you listening to me? Amen. Salvation costs you nothing. It's a free gift. Discipleship costs you everything. Everything. Salvation makes you a child of God. Discipleship makes you a son. Salvation primarily blesses you. Discipleship primarily makes you a blessing to others. Are you listening to me? Praise the Lord. So what is the benefit of being a disciple? Well, again, he said, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. Well, I thought, I thought, I thought he already gave me rest when I came to him for salvation. It's in the word soul. It's in the word soul. Now, this is a little bit technical, but you need to get this. The, the Greek word for soul is the word suke, and it's used in different ways in the New Testament. And so we have to tell from the context the meaning, okay? Generally speaking, sometimes the word suke, soul, just means a person's life. It's not referring to anything more than just his whole being. For example, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 in the New King James Version says, it's talking about Noah's Ark, and it says eight souls were saved through water. Well, he doesn't mean that they were born again by, by, by water. He means eight persons were rescued from the flood. That's all he means. But he says the word suke, soul, you see. But in other places, the word soul specifically means more than just a person. It means that person's mind, will, and emotions, his soul. And we know that, for example, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, in the easy-to-read version, it says, the Word of God is sharper than a sword and cuts. Did you know the Word of God will cut you? I said, did you know the Word of God will cut you? Some of you, when you leave the Wednesday end-up Bible study, feel like you've been cut. Go home and, man, I'm, I'm all cut up. That's good. That's good. That's the discipleship process. We're cutting some things off, <laughs> doing some surgery. I mean, not me, but God's Spirit is. Amen? 
The word of God is sharper than a sword and cuts deep to the place. So there is a place in you, the place where the soul and the spirit are joined. So this verse makes it clear that your spirit and your soul are not identical. They're not synonymous terms. They can be separated, right? Now, how many of you in this room are males? You are men. You are boys. Raise your hand. Okay. Put your hand down, please. How many of you are females? You are women. You are girls. You are ladies. Can you raise your hand? If you're not sure, you can ask the person seated next to you. Okay. How many of you are both male and female? Can I see your hand? Praise the Lord, nobody, I'd like to go on record, nobody raised their hand. We could stop and give the altar call right now, but we don't need to do that. All right, so, so we can separate the men from the boys. Oh, well, no, yeah, but that's true. We could separate the males from the females. We could have the males go over here and the females go over here, and there would be no person who says, I'm, I'm confused, hopefully, right? I, I belong in both places, or I'm, not either, I'm neither male nor female. I go by the pronoun it. No, 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 that, that, that's devilish. <laughs> right? So your soul and your spirit can be separated. They're not the same thing, though they are similar. Amen? God's Word, then, has the power to distinguish the soul from the spirit. As you hear the Word of God, as you meditate on the Word of God, your spirit becomes more easily identified. So that tells me also, if you're not hearing God's Word, then spiritual things become indistinct to you. You talk about spirit, and you're like, you know, what's that? You know, because you're dull. You're very dull spiritually. See, the Bible tells me that two men on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, you know, that, that Jesus appeared to them and talked with them, and they said to themselves in Luke 24, 32, did not our hearts burn within us. What does he mean, hearts? He means our spirits, our inward man. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? Isn't that interesting? These men said, as Jesus explained to us the Word of God, our hearts had a reaction. We felt something burning in our spirits. Well, that's not just true for them. That's true for everybody. Glory to God. So if you're having trouble locating your spirit, well, the Word of God will light a fire in that place. And you'll say, that's where it is, because that's the part that's burning really hot right now. Glory to God. Amen. Now, conversion affects your spirit. Discipleship also affects your soul. Your mind did not get born again. You have the same mind that you had when, when, you know, since you were born, right? Amen? Many Christians are at rest in their spirits, but they are restless in their souls. Once again, that means they are troubled. They're right with God, but they're troubled in their mind and in their emotions, see? They don't have that rest in their souls. So a disciple is not only saved. He's also being 
radically changed or transformed as his mind is being renewed. A disciple is in the process, in the pursuit of the renewal of his mind. Praise the Lord. So in other words, a disciple is not just someone who has the life and nature of Christ. He has the mind of Christ. And until you have the mind of Christ, you'll be troubled in your mind. You'll be restless in your mind. Praise the Lord. So in salvation, Jesus said, I will give you rest. But a disciple, he said, will find rest. Notice the words he, he chose to use, find rest. So that, ex, that suggests to me that we're not talking about just a gift, okay, now you have it, but rather it's not a one-time experience, but it's a journey. So when you go home today, your friends and family may ask you, what were you doing in church? And you could say, finding rest for my soul. Why were you reading your Bible? Why were you praying in, in your room today? I was finding rest for my... There's some, that means there's some rest for me. There's some rest, but i got to go find it. It's not going to fall on my head while I'm in, in pursuit of, of worldly and foolish things. i got to go search for it. I'll find it. Praise the Lord. Amen. So God has called you to be a disciple of Christ. We are enrolled, each one of us, in the school of Jesus. Amen. Think about the, the, the mothers, the parents who will, you know, uh, borrow money so they can enroll and get admission for their son, their daughter in a, in a good school. Right? Some will travel to faraway places, other states. Some, if, if they could, would try to get a visa, maybe to go to another country, whatever, so they can be enrolled. They, they, they can have a seat in, in, in the best. We went to the top school, and, and when they want to be able to say concerning their son, their daughter, oh, my son, you know, he's a student at da-da-da, you know, not, not some rinky-dink, but something that's really famous or something that's prestigious like that. You are a student in the most amazing school that has ever existed on the face of the earth. You are in the school of Christ. Woo. The moment you got born again, God not only wrote down your name in the Lamb's book of life, He wrote your name down in the admission book. You got a seat. Well, why do we have so many restless Christians? Because you're a bad student. You never show up for class. Oh, we could preach another sermon right here. We could preach several sermons right here. Praise the Lord. Our greatest need, when I say our, I don't just mean yours, but I mean the whole body of Christ. Our greatest need is to learn from Jesus personally. Who saved you? Well, you know, I was in a Baptist church and the pastor getting Well, I, I appreciate all that, but actually, isn't it the Lord who saved you? Oh, of course. Well, who's teaching you? Oh, you know, I went to theological seminary and then I got a degree from... No, 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 no. If you learned anything true and right, it was the Lord who taught you. He's not only the Savior, He is the teacher. 
Praise the Lord. If you weren't here last week, you need to listen to that message. It'll open your eyes. Praise God. Amen. Now, the religious leaders and the philosophers in ancient times were often arrogant and extremely demanding, you see. And the the irony is, to our minds, the harsher they were, the more respected they were in society. Now, that may not be the way we think today, I'm not sure. But in their, in first century A.D., the rabbis, the Pharisees, you know, and then, of course, worldly, like, you know, Greek philosophers and people like that, the more demanding they were, the, the more arrogant they were, then the people thought, oh, that's, that's a good teacher. That's a good teacher. It's kind of like in Nagaland, and I'm sure this is changing, but it used to be you go to the doctor, and if he gives you 12, a prescription of 12 medicines, people think... That's a good doctor. Whether you need it or not, ah, that's a good doctor. If he only gives you one medicine, ah, that's not a good doctor. Let's go to another one and get a few more medicines. You see, that's, that's how people think. That's, that's actually foolish thinking. That's not a good idea. Amen? Well, in the same way, the people in Jesus' day, that is to say, you know, in his earthly ministry, that's what they thought. The more arrogant you were, ah, that's, that's a good teacher. Let's go to school there. But in contrast, Jesus told those people I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Ancient people never prized gentleness. And they didn't want a gentle Messiah. (laughs) That's not what they wanted. People throughout history that were greatly admired and emulated, like Alexander the Great, were not known for their gentleness. And they certainly weren't lowly in heart. They were arrogant beyond belief. You see, Julius Caesar, you know, he's no humble little guy, (laughs) right? Jesus is saying that he was mild. The Greek word means mild, not severe and humble. Now, a disciple is one who disciplines himself to become like the master. So the goal of every disciple is to become like his teacher, So the goal of every Christian is to become more and more like Christ. So if he is gentle and lowly in heart, and you are not, then you're not a very good disciple. Of course, I'm not talking about you. I mean, you know, those people that you are thinking of right now that are not here right now. Or maybe they are here right now. I'm not sure. But you know, amen. Praise the Lord. So the more we learn from him and truly learn from him, the more gentle and humble we will be. Amen. Notice he said this, my yoke is easy. Now, this deserves a few thoughts, a few comments. The Greek word for easy is a krestos, krestos. And it's a word that is difficult to translate because there's no one word in English that means that. It's a thought that we don't exactly have in English. Now, maybe you have it in another dialect, another language. It's kind of a combination of two things, good and beneficial. Good and beneficial. One uh, Greek scholar defines this word as manageable. That's interesting. Manageable. So when Jesus said being his disciple is easy, 
you might misinterpret that a little bit. It doesn't mean it requires nothing from you. And that's obviously not true because in other places in the Bible, he told us that there is a price to pay for being a disciple. That's definitely true, definitely for being a disciple. For being like him does require effort from us. If you don't know that, then, then you're gonna be, it's going to be a long journey for you, a really long journey for you, you see. So that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is being my disciple is not impossible. You can do it. It's manageable. It can be difficult at times. Serving the Lord is not always easy in the sense that you don't have to do anything but just sit back and relax. That's not true, my friend. That's absolutely not true. What's easy to do is backslide. That's that's what's easy to do. (laughs) What's easy to do is to become bitter and, and have unforgiveness here. That's what's easy to do. What's easy to do is to become very carnal. That's what's easy to do. Just sit back and, oh, yes, my yoke is easy. No, no, no. The, the, no what you mean is my flesh is easy. <laughs> no, no, no. What he means is it's not impossible. You can do it. And it also means, and this is good for you. This is good for you. So there is a price to pay for being a disciple. Well, you paid, you're, you're paying it because you're here or you're watching online you see, that requires something. Amen? Why is it that we know that in the natural realm? How many people, you musicians, how many of you ever met somebody that says, oh, I really appreciate the way you play guitar or drums or something like that. I wish I could play like that. In fact, I even bought a guitar. You don't become a proficient guitarist by wishing. There's a price you have to pay. I'm not a very good guitarist, but, you know, I've got calluses on my fingers. That's the, that's the proof that I've paid a price, <laughs> right? There's a price that we have to pay in the natural. You know, you can say, oh, I wish I could become, you know, a, a, a proficient athlete. It doesn't happen by wishing. I wish I could become a successful businessman. It doesn't happen by wishing. What happens by wishing? Disappointment. <laughs> There's a price to pay in everything in the natural realm. We all know that. No one disputes that. But somehow when it comes to spiritual things, we've been deceived into thinking, oh, yeah, I can just, you know, I can just do whatever I feel like doing at the moment. And, you know, I can just waste my time and, and praise the Lord. It's all because of his grace, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Now maybe I'll just say, Lord, make me like you. No, no, there's nowhere in the Bible to say if you just say that little prayer, boom, you've got it. There is a price that has to be paid. Amen. Amen. I think a lot of Christians know that, but what we need to do is to be challenged to go further. See, because, oh, here's another thought. You know, it's easy for us when we get to a certain level of spiritual development, character development, faith, proficiency in spiritual things, to now look at all the other people who are less developed than you and then kind of pat yourself on the back and say, glory to God, I am special. No, 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 no. God's not comparing you to your fellow church members. He's not comparing you to your relatives. He's not comparing you to someone else, you know, in the body of Christ. He's comparing you to Christ. Right? Right? You know, sometimes we look really good when we're standing next to somebody who's not looking so good. Hey, let's take a picture together. 
How you doing down there? Okay, yeah. But then when somebody who looks better than you comes around and says, let's take a picture, you say, no, no, I'm not, I'm not interested in taking a picture. <laughs> you, you, you show room for improvement when we compare ourselves to Christ. Amen. That's not to, to, to cause us to be discouraged, but it should cause us to, to be maybe motivated. Well, there's, I'm not done yet. Amen. The Apostle Paul said, I've not yet arrived. I don't, I'm not yet perfect. If he said that, what does that say about you and me? Amen. And learn from me. Just a few more thoughts and, and we'll let you go today. He said, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn. 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 See? See, you don't learn and then get saved. You get saved and then you learn. Learn from me. Now, the students don't tell the teacher which lessons, lessons to give. The teacher decides that. We, we, when it comes to school, we don't have a democracy. It's a dictatorship. <laughs> the students don't say, uh, Mrs. Zama Zama, we've all voted and decided that today we want to learn how to make ice cream. No, no, it don't, it, we don't care what you, what you sit down, be quiet. I'm the teacher. You're the student, right? So what Jesus wants to show us may not be what we want to see. It's not that he's not teaching us. It's that, no, 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 that's not the topic we want to hear about. How many of you know you're talking to God about prosperity, and he's talking to you about humility? No, 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 that's not, that's not the topic, God. You're talking to God about healing, and he's talking to you about obedience. No, 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 you, you didn't get me, God. That's not what I'm talking about. How many of you know that we could preach a sermon on the anointing and, and miracles and, I mean, fill the house? Well, maybe not these days, but, you know, people would come out of the woodwork. We preach about submission and even your own mother won't come. <laughs> Why? Because the students think they tell the teacher what to talk about. I don't mean me, the pastor, but I mean the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and by the way, if you don't, you know, maybe you come to church, oh, the pastor's talking about character. I don't want to hear about that. Let me turn on television. And the guy on television is talking about character. Let me change the channel. He's talking about character too. Oh, I, I, let me read a book. I was talking about character too. And I don't want to re reopen a Bible verse. Let's talk about character. No, no, Lord, Lord, something's going wrong. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a rebellious student. That's not wearing the yoke very well. Amen. What is it that Jesus wants to teach us? Well, I mean, you probably generally know, but sometimes we take a verse out of context, or we just take read a verse isolated, and we kind of don't see the fullness of the meaning. So let's back up. We were in Matthew chapter 11, you know, verse 28, but let's back up and let's read verse 25 and 26, the words that he said just before that. It might help us. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He said, he said, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things and revealed them to others. 
What things? The Amplified Bible says this, the spiritual truths, meaning the principles that govern the kingdom of God. You know, when I, when I come to India, you know, I'm aware that now there's a change, a different system, right? They have different laws. Some things I could do in another country would not be permissible here and vice versa. See, in, 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 in Nagaland, we don't have a speed limit. Honest, we don't have you. There's no law. There's no. Po, there's nothing that tells you how fast or slow to drive, and it's not really necessary because they have speed, enough speed bumps. And most people in Nagaland drive like my grandmother anyway, so there's not really a problem. But in America, if you drive too fast, they'll stop you. See, they have a different system, different law. Well, we're trying to live like in the kingdom by living by the rules of Nagaland. It don't work that way. It definitely don't work that way. You have to live by the principles of God's kingdom. Amen. Praise the Lord. So these are spiritual laws. These are the things that tell us how the realm of God operates. When you don't understand these things, you spend your whole life saying, when I get to heaven. <laughs> or why did God allow that? You have all these questions. Why? Because you don't know these things. Amen. You don't know why things do happen or do not happen in your life. Amen. And notice this, this very important point. God not only reveals, He also conceals. I said God not only reveals, He also conceals. To some... He enables them. He gives them the ability to know and understand. They see it because He shows them. But to others, it's hidden from them. They can't see it. Why? Because they don't have any light. And that's certainly true of, of the lost. Right? We know people, you know, in our community or whatever, and you can talk to them about the Lord, and it's like, you know, it's like talking to a brick wall for all the comprehension that you see in them. It's, it's just hidden from their eyes. It's just, it's just darkened. You may be in tears. Your heart is just broken, and they just look at you like, you know, like, like you're speaking another language or something like that. Why? They don't see it. They don't see it. And notice this. Receiving this knowledge, knowledge of these things, these spiritual truths, receiving this knowledge has nothing to do with the person's intelligence or experience. God conceals it, Jesus said, from the wise and understanding. Well, it's good to have wisdom. You know, the Bible tells us to have wisdom, but He means those with natural knowledge and human reasoning. That's really what He means, you see. So in other words, as David Youngie Cho once said, God does not speak to smart people. How many of you are smart? Don't raise your hand. God does not speak to smart people. In other words, those who are wise in their own eyes. That's really what he means. Amen. When you start thinking you're smart, God stops talking. And that's why there's a lot of Christians who are living on yesterday's revelation. 
They're still operating on what they got from God back in 1997. They forgot that this is 2021. God, you need fresh manna. You need fresh insight. You need a fresh word for today. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But God reveals spiritual truth, he says, to little children. Does that mean only the covenant kids can understand these things? No. He means those who are, who are not wise in their own sight, who don't have an exaggerated opinion of their own intelligence, and who are not trying to be sophisticated. Children, little, little children, he said, you know, they're pretty simple. Little children, you know, aren't, don't have all these hidden agendas. Right? Like, look, Tommy, here's your neighbor, Billy. And he's like, nice shoes. Mm-hmm. And all these little things going on, all these little gender and, you know, whatever, you know, jealousy and envy and one-upmanship, all that. And they don't, they don't when they're little kids, they, they don't have that kind of stuff. Of course, the big kids, yeah. But the little kids don't have that. The Passion Translation says this. You have hidden the great revelation of your authority from those who are proud and wise in their own eyes. Instead, you have shared it with those who humble themselves. Why does God do that? God is selective. God is not capricious and random and to whom he reveals himself. He doesn't say, okay, anybody want a revelation? Here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. Anybody? Raise your hand if you want one. No, 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 he's very selective. Mm, no, 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 ah, yes. No, 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 ah, yes. Why? Why does God do that? Jesus said, for such was your gracious will. You know what that means? Because he wants to. God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. You know what that means? That means he does not ask your opinion. <laughs> and you can write another little note under that, and he doesn't care what your opinion is. <laughs> Amen. He knows what he wants to do. Amen. Why? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29, it says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He alone deserves the glory, you see. And that's very important. He'll not share his glory with anyone, you see. Nobody here can say, I saved myself. No one can say that. But no one here can say, I taught myself. No, no, no. If you know anything, I'm talking about the spiritual truths. You may know a lot about economics and arithmetic. I'm not talking about that. If you know anything about the things of God... It's because he revealed it to you. So who gets the glory? You? No. No. What is it that we can learn from Christ as his disciple? What can he teach us that others cannot? Well, let's read the next verse. I'm almost done here. Verse 27, Matthew eleven twenty-seven. 27. Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me, by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. 
If God has handed over all things to Jesus, then all these things are not in anyone else's hands. They're only in His hands. And that means there is no one else that can teach you about God. He's the only one. Oh, yeah, but Brother John, I mean, there's so many, uh, you know, talented and anointed and gifted teachers in the body of Christ. Now, that's just a vessel. It's Jesus flowing through that vessel that's actually teaching you. If you're even getting anything tonight, it's not because of the person that God's using at this moment. It's simply the grace of God flowing through that vessel for you. It's actually the Lord that, that, that's teaching you. Amen. Praise the Lord. We can know the Father in exactly the same way that Jesus knows him, but only as Jesus chooses to reveal the Father to us. And the word know here means full, accurate knowledge, means to experience. So Jesus is not just teaching you theology or doctrine and dogma. He wants to show you the Father. He wants you to know the Father better, to know Him personally in a better way. Now, let me wrap this up. The key to having rest in your soul is being taught by the Lord. And the key to being taught by the Lord is to being gentle and lowly in heart. A few years ago, um, I attended a special meeting in a church in America. There was a guest speaker who's uh, very well known. If I called his name, I think most of you would know him. A and uh, after the meeting was over, th uh, the folks there invited me to stay back and have dinner with a few of the pastors who were present, including this guest speaker. And I thought, my wife was there too, and I thought it was very interesting in that uh, this, this man, you know, he came in the room, and uh, he, was, uh, he was not what I expected. He, he was like childlike in many ways. I don't mean that he was immature. I don't, mean, I don't mean any of the bad attributes that you might associate with children. You know, he wasn't selfish or anything like that. But I mean, he was like innocent. I guess the best way, one way to say, unpretentious. He just walked in the room, and he was like, hey, everybody, you know, and then he starts talking, you know, as we're all chatting, and he started talking about the very same things he preached in his sermon. But he's like, with, with all this excitement and, and freshness, as if we haven't heard it, we were, we were all there. We, we, just, we, just, we just, you know, we just dismissed from the meeting. We all heard you, but he's sharing it as if it's like some new thing that nobody ever knows about. And he, and he kept saying, you know, some of the same things even in that dinner again and again. And, and it's, like, it's like a little child who got a hold of something, you know, and, and, uh, and there was no sense of like, like I'm, you know, big I and you are little you. I'm important, you're not. Everybody bow down and worship me now. <laughs> there was nothing, not, not even a hint of that. Not even a hint of that. When you talked with him, there weren't this like, you weren't trying to figure out what he was saying. Like, why did he compliment my watch? I think he wants my watch. You know, nothing, nothing weird. Like so many people in Nagaland are weird. They're just weird. 
Nothing they say makes sense. They're like thinking too hard. You know, they're, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to be too smart when they're not. They think that impresses people. That just confuses people, irritates people. Jesus said, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything else is from the devil. Right. Meanwhile, I've been with others in ministry, like again in America, who haven't accomplished. I mean, this man broadcasts his television program all over the world. He travels, been his own personal jet to many places all over America and other countries too, you know. But I've been with others who haven't accomplished like, you know, near anything compared to that. But they just seem like they couldn't, couldn't get away from the fact that they want me to know how important they are. You know, they, they've got to tell me how smart they are. They got to tell me how rich they are. They got to tell me how honest they are. They got to tell me, you know, how strong they are. If you have to tell people how smart you are, you're not. If you have to tell people how honest you are, you're not. If you have to tell people how strong you are, you're not. And that's what hinders people from being taught by God. Especially dun, 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 in word of faith circles. <laughs> that's the worst. Sometimes I'd rather go like to the Presbyterian church. They don't know nothing. So they're just like, you just tell them, you know, God loves you. And they're like writing it down. <laughs> Here people roll their eyes and say, oh, no, is that it? <laughs> Come on. Hallelujah. Gentle and lowly in heart. Glory to God. Okay, can, can you take a little bit more? Can you give me a minute? Can you give me a minute, a minute to win it? One more minute. Come on, one minute. Come on, one minute. Two minutes. Three, four, seven, eight, ten. Come on, who can help me out? Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you. That's the call to discipleship. You've got the free gift of salvation. You're a child of God. You're in the family of God. But now that you're in the family, the Father's sending you to school. Isn't that what you do with children? Sending you to school. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke represents submitting to authority. But here's another little point. A yoke, remember I told you it's a harness worn by animals, you know, that pulling a plow or you see a pulling a cart or something like that. Usually we think of a yoke as being a pair. It's a pair. It's two animals. It's not just one. It's a pair. For example, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Well, that, that's not talking about discipleship. That's talking about partnership. We could preach another sermon. If you're going to go into business with a sinner, you're going to have problems in your business. That's what he said. Don't be yoked together with someone who doesn't even know God. Your light, their darkness, you're, you're going you're to come into trouble. Don't marry, don't marry an unbeliever. You don't think marriage is not a yoke? Only single people think that. Married people know it is. <laughs> you go that way and there's something pulling you back. <laughs> right? Okay, here's my point. Being a disciple is not just learning from Christ. It's not just that. It's walking with Christ. You see, when he says, take my yoke on you, he means you and I are going to be paired up now. 
because a yoke is a pair of animals, not just one. He means you and I are going to be in this together. We're going to go together. We're going to do life together. My business is failing. Make sure Jesus is your business partner. My marriage is failing. Make sure Jesus is in the middle of your marriage. My church is not growing. Make sure Jesus is the chief shepherd of souls in that church. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me read to you last verse from the Message Bible, back to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. Jesus said, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So if two animals are paired together in a yoke, like two oxen or, or you know, two donkeys or something like that, they have to go in the same direction or they're not going to go anywhere. So if one is going this way, another one is pulling that way, they can't go anywhere. They're stuck. So what this means is if Jesus is pulling you in a direction, then you need to go with him. I've told you this before, and I don't mean it to be unkind, okay? But it's just a fact. I was raised, you know, in a denominational church. I was raised Presbyterian. That's all I knew. You know, that's the only church I ever went to. I thought everybody was Presbyterian. All the saved people were Presbyterian. I didn't know that there wasn't, I never experienced anything else besides that, you know. But our church was dead. In other words, most of the people in our church, they never even first came to Jesus to find rest, to get rest. They, they, they're never even born again, you see. They're just, they're just part of a church, you see. And I was saved. I knew the Lord, but, but I, didn't, I didn't know anything beyond that. I had nothing. I had very little light, you know. And I was so restless. I was very restless, you see. If you're restless, that should be a warning sign. Okay, something needs to change here. And, and, uh, and again, I don't mean to be unkind. I'm just telling you, and you don't know these people, but, you know, the, the pastor... You know, he didn't really preach God's Word. He was a nice man. I mean, he, he, was, he was a very upright person. He, was, he had integrity. He was, he was certainly honest, very, very honest, and all that kind of stuff like that. In many ways, he's a very good man, but he did not really preach the Word of God to us. And when he was about my age, he just dropped dead one day, just dropped dead, just died, boom. And I, and I wept, you know, because he was my pastor. I wept. And my parents were getting restless also. Deep calleth unto deep. There's something in you or something pulling you. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus teaches you, by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and, and we were talking about going to another church, leaving that church. It's really dead. I'm telling you, it's dead. And, and I went into that church sanctuary one weekday and just sat on the back row by myself. It was quite of an impressive building, and I just wept, you know, that, because I, felt, I still felt so sad that this man had passed away so suddenly like that, you know. And, and uh, I wanted to stay there. And something inside me say, why, why do you seek the living among the dead? <laughs> and I knew, I knew I had to go. That was Jesus saying, we're yoked together. We're doing this together. I'm leaving. Are you going to stay or are you going to go with me? You know, when the, when the pillar of fire moves on, it's time to pull up your tent stakes, pack your suitcases, and start walking. 
When the, that's what happens to so many Christians and denominations. The glory has moved on. They're still stuck in the same campfire, same place, just stuck there. They haven't moved on. There are some people that maybe, you know, the, the, you know, the Lord was pulling them, come maybe to this Bible school or maybe to another, like Rhema or some other good Bible school. And, and like, but, you know, family doesn't agree and there's a lot of pressure like that. And so, like, he's going this way and they want to go that way. So what happens? They don't go anywhere. They don't develop. They don't advance. You're yoked together with me. That's what he says. So if he's going this direction, that is how he teaches you. It's not just giving a lesson. Life is the lesson. Are you out there today? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The quickest way to say it is this. If you want to be more like Christ, whatever he tells you, just do it. Just be yes. Be the yes man. Whenever the Lord says something, say, yes, Lord. I want you to do this. Yes, Lord. Now, I wish I could stand here and tell you that I've always done that, because that's obviously not true, and I'm afraid my wife would run up here and, you know, underscore that point. But, um, but we, can, we can become a better disciple, more like him. There's a price to pay, isn't there? Certainly is. There's a price to pay. But is it worth it? Oh, yes. 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 Ultimately, becoming a disciple of Christ will cost you everything. But in the end result, not becoming a disciple will also cost you everything. You'll lose it. It won't be, it won't be a life worth living, I promise you. Would you stand with me to your feet today? Praise the Lord.